Hello, this is Peter Levesque. Welcome to episode 14 of the Knowledge Exchange podcast. This podcast series is a product supported by the Canadian Council on Learning, Canada's leading organization committed to improving learning across Canada and in all walks of life. I want to thank the great staff at CCL for their efforts with this project to advance our understanding of effective knowledge exchange to improve the learning of Canadians. You can download this episode as well as one of six future episodes in the series from my website at www.knowledgemobilization.net, from iTunes directly, just search for KM Podcast. Alternatively, go to knowledgeexchange.podomatic.com. Khan Rahi is a well-known community activist and researcher. He works with some of the most vulnerable people in Canada's largest city. He uses research evidence to support the development and implementation of practices and policies. is a great example of how evidence supports political changes and community improvements. The use of multiple modes of communication and the need for people to carry messages through oral channels is a reminder that, even with growing trend towards technology, people still look to each other for knowledge and leadership. Although there's lots of background noise in the restaurant where we met, I think there is a strong signal coming from Khan. Let's be transparent, clear, blunt about the issues we're dealing with, and then let's work together to implement solutions. That is really what knowledge exchange is about, isn't it? I'm here at Acropolis on the Danforth in Toronto with Khan Rahi. Khan, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and say a little bit about what you do? I'm um, a community-based researcher. I come from community organizing <clears throat> and, tourist, and to doing research. And I have done uh, a fair amount of community development work across communities in Toronto and also, of course, across, across the country as well, but primarily yeah. here in Toronto. I worked for uh, Social Bank Council for 10 years, where I worked focused on new immigrants. Essentially, the focus was increasing access for newcomer immigrants and refugees in Toronto and to uh, human services. Okay. Now, one of the things that I thought was really interesting mm-hmm. is that your concept around knowledge exchange, leadership, lifelong learning among new Canadians and immigrant communities is, is different than a lot of the conversations. And so I wanted to have a conversation about, you know, you described a program yesterday about teaching new immigrants about parenting. Right, which is a form of knowledge exchange because of the context they're in. Can you talk a little bit about how you see yeah. knowledge exchange in the community context? Well, essentially, really, uh, to just basically, the immigrant community could be categorized in terms of the use of information uh, is, um, is basically oral community. In other words, although the vast number of immigrants of course, there are, they have high literacy skills in their own language, and also as uh, all the um, standard <coughs> data shows, that a significant number of immigrants in, that come to Canada they're able to speak one or both of the official languages. But still, in terms of dealing with services, information, and increase basically helping newcomers to integrate into Canadian society in different facets. Is still oral communication remains to be a really key thing, and also I think in this population I have learned over a number of years that I have worked that it's not sufficient to use only one mode of communication. You have to really use multiple modes of communication to reach different people. Specifically, that the population is divided into two categories in terms of the service users. One category, large category, they they will find their way through their community-based organizations 
into the service main, what's called mainstream service services, and they'll find their way into services and access ESL, job and uh, employment opportunities, and, and so on. But there is another sector of the population that remain really out of reach. It's hard to reach, even for community-based organizations within these communities, it's really hard to reach them because they they respond to accessing services through uh, word of mouth, informal groups, and um, a lot of times just uh, acquaintances, community members, and uh, f uh, neighbors, family members, and so on. And it's a significant percentage of people that actually get left out of the services. So it's essential to, to use the multiple multiple medium to to uh, to basically access and reach uh, a whole lot of people in order to connect them to services. Essentially, the equation is this, that if people access services that are available, they also they a shorter period of integration. Leadership, mm -hmm. or the process, I mean, th this is a really interesting example of, of lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. I mean, this... Uh, podcast series is done for the Canadian Council on Learning, which is creating a context and a culture in Canada of supporting ongoing learning. So how does that look like in the communities that you're dealing with? Some of the people I've talked to talk about, you know, the academic process, or some of them talk about the business process, or some talk about retraining. What does it look? What does lifelong learning look like in the communities that, that you're working with? Well, uh, I think what is happening is basically it's common knowledge in some some way that there is a tendency in the immigrant population to retain retain their leadership. Once the leadership emerges, to retain the leadership, and the leadership is basically um, it's a guiding force, if you like, and it's not really a single individual usually. A lot of times there's a group of people, there's a sector of people within each community that actually guides people. The, uh, the leadership plays an important role in many respects, one of which is to hold the community together or as a community with their identity, with their vision, with their dreams. And the other part of that, which is really significant, and uh, is the whole question of providing opportunity for mentorship by highlighting positive achievements in the community or uh, in terms of children, for example, the younger generations, it's important to see that uh, younger people have higher achievement that basically that, um, that show pieces, if you like, so that will be a, a good to find positive example for others to, okay. to, to move on. It's essential. So how does, how does knowledge from, I mean, you, you have a, a cross-appointment at uh, CAMH, the Canadian at the Center for Addiction and, and Mental Health. How does evidence and research knowledge intersect with the knowledge and experience of the people in the community? How do you engage, how does that exchange happen? And how do you move from that interface between sort of research and practice and experience and move it into uh, programs and policy? Well, I think it's basically, to put it simply, it's, uh, it's almost like it's a translation service in the sense that you have to dissect the academic uh, language and concepts and literature in the way it's in the way problems are articulated, so that that articulation takes takes a, a different mode in a sense and a different step, basically, which means that you have to translate that into into a what it, what it actually means in concrete terms. So, okay. for example, can you give an example? Yeah, okay. an example, basically, uh, mental health uh, stigma and the impact of that. So we all know that uh, mental health, there's so much literature, all kinds of stuff has been done. And then one of the areas, that I, one of the projects that I actually worked on is to 
translate the mental health the stigma and mental health into so what how communities are interpreting. So what's happening is that the, the each community has a different attitude toward mental health. The community that I brought together, which were basically essentially service providers and so on, they through anecdotes they described as to how much community members, family members and so on shun actually or hide mental health problems. They actually effectively hide them. And then it was really interesting to see that how that the uh, the impact, the negative impact of the stigma uh, that is demonstrated and that was demonstrated in literature could help these communities understand that it's not you're not actually hiding to or you're hiding actually temporarily to conceal because you don't want people to talk about it and so on, but actually you're hurting the, um, the chances of people to survive, their health, their prospects to get proper treatment and so on. So that's what I mean by translation. Do you have to uh, the knowledge, the uh, evidence-based knowledge closer to the reality of people who live because they already have done these things. They do it with the best intention, saying that that's probably the way they protect their, their loved ones and so on. But on the other hand, they are, they are basically hurting their, their healthy chances. So the translation, of course, will have to take a different, apply a different approach in each community because some communities are very well versed. They know what to go, they know what to do, and so on. Especially if they have a, a higher percentage of the younger generation or educated and so on. But there are a whole lot of other communities that do not have that. Yeah. Specifically, the refugee community is really, really hurting because a lot of these refugee communities, especially in Toronto, are very small, fragile. They don't have strong infrastructure to build organizations and so on, so it's important to reach them and point out that it's not some academic exercise, but basically what happens was evidence-based knowledge about, let's say in this case, this uh, mental health stigma, that you were talking about a healthy, a healthy population. Okay. So, actually, let's talk about that in terms of infrastructure. One of the uh, things that we've talked about in terms of creating a, a, a supportive li li lifelong learning uh, community, uh, engaging in ongoing knowledge exchange is the a set of appropriate incentives and infrastructure that supports this. Let's use the example of, of a refugee community here in Toronto. What are the incentives? What are the infrastructure to help support that, that movement? What yeah. works in, in, this com in, the, in that community? Well, in the case of, I mean, this is generalizing because every refugee community right. comes from entirely different. But by and large, I think it's safe to, to say that now Canada's getting a different category of refugees. Refugees no longer come from from one source. They're usually actually multiple source by the time they reach Canada. So which means that these people have gone through so much before prior to arriving to Canada. So they have seen a lot of stuff, there were a lot of devastation and so on. So bottom line, a supportive system is really essential to have a supportive environment for refugees to feel comfortable enough so that they can start addressing or expressing some of the stuff. Some of the things, but now uh, they basically the the thing to do is to use the existing services that are there. Of course, individual uh, highlighted um, incentives will work, but also will be good. So for example, English English as second second language services by and large could be a really good channel through which you can communicate a whole lot of information okay. and getting it across basically because a lot of these people they come they're very eager to learn the language so they can get jobs so that's one layer the other layer is actually workplaces because also the vast majority of these people that have come as refugees especially they're so anxious they have you know some of them were, you know they have not been in workplace for 10 years 15 years and then they're anxious to get jobs so once they're in workplace that's another place to actually plug in and and find out industries that are really attract a lot of these for example garment industry 
attracts a lot of people. And some of the other industries that they attract people, those are the places to actually reach people. But all sorts of stuff, especially you know, as I said, if, it, if the evidence-based information is translated. Uh, to a common language, to a user-friendly language. Okay, so in, in talking about evidence, when you hear the word evidence, I mean, is there a particular way that you look at evidence? Basically, it means that means that uh, there is sufficient grounds to demonstrate that a particular problem does actually exist. It's not hearsay, it's not anecdotal, has reached a point where it's got a universal as we say, universal attention, if you like, because of the fact that it's, well, like, uh, for example, uh, we all know that uh, it took a while for everybody to realize that smoking was a harmful thing. Right. And then until the evidence, the evidence was there, people were dying from lung cancer and so on, but actually became even more powerful when tobacco companies started, evidence from tobacco companies came forward saying that, you know, showing that, you know, they're using chemicals and so on, the addiction process and so on. But it's the same with everything else, but again, with you name it when, when so it's really that kind of that scale yeah. right yeah. when there's how do you within the communities that you work in how do you build the evidence to support new programs or new policies new sets of practices within those communities how do you build that evidence it's that's really hard to answer because the thing is that every community is different and also there's a lot of different problems some problems are you know easier than than others but essentially it sounds simplistic but basically people in the communities that I work, the need their need is profound, and once they have a profound need for something, let's say that they have a, a community uh, has a profound need to get into durable, good jobs, solid jobs, safe jobs, and because their community members are hurting, they've been unsafe jobs, or they have economically totally impoverished, or they know is visible. So there's the need now. This community doesn't really need a, it's not a rocket science to discover that this community really needs some, okay. some help, some, some way to find their way. And once they find a few people who have achieved, that's basically evidence enough for them to see that what it means to be in safe jobs, what it means to be in safe environment, what it means to have your children succeed in school okay. system. So when yeah. do you know you're getting the value? from the knowledge that you have and how it's applied? When, what are success indicators from the application of knowledge? I think the best, the most effective thing is that when somebody from these communities get up there, stand up there and say, this is what happened to me. And I'll give you an example. I was involved in a program which was basically an upgrading program to bring uh, members of immigrants and refugees uh, that worked in the human services sector it's frontline and so on, providing an opportunity to go to post-secondary education and so on. It was revealing to see some people who were working, say, in frontline, dead-end jobs uh, for all we could gather, to see that uh, once they learned through the upgrading program and so on, to come to a point where they got promotions, they got moved somewhere else, or they started thinking about the improving their education, and they will get up in front of 50, 60 people and say, this is what this program or this opportunity did to me, and this is what happened to me, uh, this is where I was before, this is where I am here, and this is where I'm going next. And I think those individual 
Essentially, we're talking about changing individual behavior. And if that gets an articulation that basically somebody comes and says, this is what it did to me. So the individual speaking up is representative of I something else moving in. I think it's powerful. Okay. Yeah, no, it's extremely powerful. I mean, of course, we cannot generalize just because something happened, positive happened to one person, it's going to happen to everybody. But it's powerful, but it's a, for instance. But it's an indicator. Exactly. What are the What are the shifts, or how are you helping to increase the value of the knowledge that comes out of your work? Are there sets of relationships that are emerging? Is there a change in the policy community? I mean, what's happening that moves the knowledge that comes from people working within their community? How is that moving into policies, into practices? Is it, I mean, how are you getting well, full I mean, value? Toronto, Toronto is an exceptional place. Uh, the reality here is that there are a lot of different people here, but in terms of more narrowing that the response to a question, is that what happens, there are, generally speaking, there are probably three layers that this information could go into translate into some policy that will become basically more institutionalized. One of which is that we have, within, within the immigrant community now, we have effectively good channel of advocacy. People, organizations and so on, battle together and advocate on a specific thing. See, for example, right now, the whole current issue of poverty among immigrants is a powerful thing, and then, in fact, is the recent, just today's announcement that the Ontario government has moved into uh, having a, a cabinet, powerful cabinet committee to deal with poverty. That's an essential thing to see that years of uh, advocacy has led to something like that, and I'm sure will be all sorts of policy coming out of that. Okay. Just announcement today. That's one channel. The other channel is that basically service providers to bundle up a whole bunch of service providers and addressing them is collectively responsible to say, look, you guys have all the services, all the all the taxpayers' money, track record, history, and so on, and then now you also accumulate a whole lot of knowledge. What do you do with that? Okay. So, so that you can move that. And then the other part is, which is actually a really uh, small but very significant trend in, in Toronto, is that um, more and more members of um, from recent communities, immigrant communities, and find themselves in the political channels. I mean, there are more people are getting elected. In the last election, we've got the first Iranian getting elected in a place that I work in, New York region, there's been absolutely no actually Iranian community organizations. But there were tons and tons of Iranians living there with struggling with all sorts of problems and so on. And it's, it's, so in, in, uh, in Mississauga, for example, we had people elected from the Arab community, from uh, smaller uh, South Asian communities and so on. So I think that's, that's the other channel that's happening that's probably set, a, set an example nationally to see that that's another way, effective way that people can go. Encourage their members to go into politics at the local level of government, provincial level of government, or federal, or what have you, and that's another effective way to do it. So what are some of the greatest challenges that you're faced in the work that you're doing? I mean, one of the fundamental challenges, basically, that you're out there against fundamentally systemic issues. A lot of the systemic issues are so powerful, so overwhelming, that you need a lot of different effective tools to break that, breakthrough. And as been, I mean, some of the examples I gave, it took years before, before, you know, basically we achieve something. But essentially, I think the challenges that just that, that systemic problems are powerful, therefore you really need effect more 
resources. I'm not suggesting more money. I don't think more money putting into a system and a problem is really a, a, necessarily a solution. It helps, of course, but what you need is basically people who resources that will be effective, use, and also good and solid understanding of what a systemic issues are, so that you can pour, you can take a crack at it. Let's look at the other side of that. Okay. What are the greatest rewards from doing this kind of work? Well, I think uh, I think that the fact that you make a difference in people's life, and of course that's always uh, gratifying more than the individual level, and also at the community level, when you see the, you know, the work you've been doing, or other people doing along with you, and so on, directly or indirectly, has translated into making a difference in people's lives, and uh, that could be a small thing, could be a big thing, I think it's always uh, gratifying to see that, well, it made a difference. I mean, that's it. Okay. Yeah. If, uh, if you, uh, I'm going to ask that impossible yeah, question, uh, you know, that everybody asked that, you know, if you had a crystal ball and told the future reasonably well, in ten, if you could look forward 10 years, how do you see the processes of knowledge exchange um, to be, especially with regards to, to lifelong learning and the capacity to make well-informed decisions in, you know, community development? I think if, if the society, a societal society as a whole, well, will increase the transparency and our, if we, the more we do away with hidden stuff and become more blunt, just the same way that all now the language of environment is getting the global warming, becoming very, very blunt. Everybody, everybody all across the system knows that basically there's something is happening. The same thing that happened actually with, the, with some of the specific problems, like I mentioned, smoking and so on. And I think if that's the more blockages, the more obstacles we, we remove, and I think that's that's the better better society we look at. And in other words, there's nothing wrong with a, with being blunt about problems, but we can't do that unless we really get rid of get so rid transparency, of transparency, yeah. openness, yeah, sharing openness, of yeah. knowledge. Yeah. Okay. And in that way, that way, of course, when when people yeah. share ideas, they also along with that comes other things. They basically share solutions, they share remedies, they share agonies too. That I will, you know, there will be a shared way of saying. And right now, I mean, we're all dealing with all sorts of problems, health problems and so on, uh, that uh, people are really, like you can see, find it, for example, in breast cancer sector or in, in lung cancer and other areas. You find people, a cluster of people that are actually HIV positive people. So, I mean, those kinds of things, the ones become, basically, we're dealing with more and more and more societal issues, no longer isolated issues. It's not just happening, you know, to me and nobody else. So, I think the transparency is the way to go, is the way I see it. Great. Fun. Mm -hmm. It's always been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks.